Weatherman Podcast. This is your host, Chad Stecker, and I am the Weathered Man. I'm just a humble man pleading to a broken world, y'all, and I always have a lot to say. You definitely know that by now, but hopefully today is exactly what you need to hear. The American Dream. That's a tough one, huh? We have a lot of different perceptions on that one. The original American Dream was a beautiful thing, but what if I told you that it has been dismantled and redefined, ultimately demolishing the original intent. And the Western church and its prosperity get rich quick because of faith and right schemes have perpetuated the very pride, vanity, and misguided focus we were told to avoid. We have been misguided and lied to, helping those leading the cause to get wealthy as kings of earth while the peasants, or the so-called peasants, are left to a nightmare of confusion. We have allowed our greed to turn our focus from the presence in God that consumes heaven to becoming distracted by the gold he chose to pave his very streets with. We have allowed the church to betray the presence of God for 30 pieces of silver over again and over again and over again all for the riches of earth we feel we're owed. Now, before going any further, let me me point out a couple things because we're already at toe-stomping mode, right? One, I'm not attacking a specific person and I will not wage war on a preacher or televangelist or denomination in this podcast. I'm simply dealing with the message of false prosperity, not the messenger's. Second, I'm not against money and provision at all. I actually welcome it in my life. The root of evil is not money, though, but rather the love of money. So I believe money is neutral. It simply depends on whose hands it's in and what it's being used for that makes it either bad or good. I'm not against the rich, but I'm also not looking down on the poor. For my focus is on heavenly wealth rather than earthly riches. Now, now that that's out of the bag and out of the way, I want to tell you exactly what you can expect today because I'm sure a few of you are still deciding whether or not you're going to continue listening to this podcast any further. (laughs) I understand. I already have more bulleted points than any other podcast so far. But let me give you three points. What you can expect. One, You can expect that I will read the original definition of the American dream and then lay out how it's been dismantled by culture. I'm not here to dismantle it. I'm going to show how we've allowed culture to dismantle it, secular and Christian alike. The second one is I will explain my stance on this whole health, wealth, and happiness agenda and give practical biblical thoughts concerning all three. Basically, I'm going to deal with prosperity. And then the third... I want to give you my very simple solution to this problem through my personal three focuses for this year. There you have it. Let's dive into this now. There's a story Jesus tells about the prodigal son, and it goes something like this. Well, it doesn't just go something like this. I'm going to read you the actual story out of the ESV version. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the property that is coming to me. And he decided, divided his property between them. Now a share, let me, let me tell you, he's asking for his inheritance. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need, so went and hired himself out to be one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to be feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still along the way, a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put on a ring, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this is my son. And my son was dead, and now is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, and but his he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, my, when this son of yours came... Who has devoured your property with prostitutes? You killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this is your brother, and your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now he is found. Now, we must stop interpreting scripture through the lens of our culture alone and the cultural definitions and ways of our generation. We need to begin to interpret scripture through the culture of Christ in that day and then seek the Holy Spirit on how to apply those truths from scripture to our culture today. Does that sound right? I think most of us agree that we are literally the example of the prodigal son. If not, we can have a discussion later, but in this case, I'm using us as the example of the prodigal son. And if you agree with this, then let me ask you a question. What was the only thing the prodigal son didn't receive upon his return? He received his father and he was reminded of his sonship. He received a place at the table again and all the rights and responsibilities his place in the family secured him. He received grace and he received his dignity back. He even received a party. You know, when he came back home, he received a celebration party of the ages, didn't he? I could go on and on about this. He received so much. He received everything. 
But what couldn't his father, his own father, ever give him again? You ready? His inheritance. And why? Because he had already received it and wasted it. There was nothing left to give him. This is what now separated him and his brother more than anything else, y'all. In Jesus' day, the son's earthly inheritance was the son's earthly riches. The only way the prodigal son would ever have an inheritance ever again would be if his own brother shared his. And in this story, the brother doesn't seem to have any desire to celebrate the other son's return, much less share his inheritance with him, right? But God, everybody say, but God. We have a brother, a Messiah, a Jesus that not only celebrates our return, but didn't care to sit and wait while watching us try to try by ourselves to come home because we couldn't do it on our own. He left his father's house and came to the pigsty and paid for our return with grace and dignity. Then he returned home and now awaits to share his very inheritance with those that squandered theirs. We have an inheritance, y'all. If you are adopted children of the Most High God, you have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. We have heavenly wealth because Jesus is sharing his. Through Christ, we are given the opportunity, key word here, to not only come home, but share an eternal inheritance with Christ himself. Now, the American dream. The American dream is defined this way. The ideal by which equality of opportunity is available to any American, allowing the highest aspirations and goals to be achieved. The key words here for me are these three words, equality of opportunity. The original intent of the American dream was not about results or even how you start out. It was based on the principle that all men were created equal in likeness and spiritual identity, not in economic or any other status. But regardless of earthly status in any area of life, American citizens would be allotted the same equality of opportunity. And also immigrants that long to become citizens would be allotted that very same opportunity as well. This is beautiful. America's amazing. But through the last 40 or so years... We have seen a shift in redefining the American dream as less about equality and opportunity and more about the equality of results. Whatever it takes to give everybody the same results, that's what we want. So, results become the focus and methods no longer pure. But simply, those methods are a means to a desired end. Do whatever it takes to get yours has become the way of the American And dare I say, the way of the American Christian. Also, I'm not suggesting that everyone in our country had equality of opportunity. It was the dream, remember? A dream. Racism and prejudice has always been a horrible and prevalent issue in our country throughout its entire existence. I acknowledge that. What I am discussing here is the concept of the American dream along with how we define it within the context of the American church. I'm not saying it's always worked perfect. Through the cultural dismantling and redefining of the American dream, the church has moved into the same mindset as the very culture it was intended to lead. 
We have become results-oriented instead of obedient-driven. We're goal-setting without a commitment to be loyal to God's process. And when our desired results become our primary focus, everything we now do is only about reaching the desired result. Not the journey and the growth within it. Not the journey that gets us there. Not the growth that happens within it. The result then consumes us. It pushes us. And it becomes the definition of victory that defines us wrongly. The culture's definition of success then becomes the measurement in which we define victory itself when scripture gives us a much different way of thinking, doesn't it? What starts to happen is this. Listen, pay attention real quick. What starts to happen is the ends begins to justify the means. We have this whatever it takes mantra about us, making God's vision given to us secondary. His vision becomes tunnel visioned into the depths of our pride and desires to prove ourselves through the greatness of our own results. We can do it on our own. That way, when we actually see results, no one should get credit but ourselves. That's wrong. Results are now defined through perceived health, wealth, and happiness, and the American dream now turned into a part of the enemy's scheme. (laughs) The heroes of old, though, they lived supernaturally, didn't they? Not with desires of health, wealth, and happiness in this context, but over and over again, putting their bodies and their lives in harm's way through obedience, perseverance, and joy. We are striving for health, wealth, and happiness in our culture, wondering where the supernatural went. (laughs) Let me tell you, it's still here, just not within what has become important to us. The church has begun teaching more on the seven principles of a successful life rather than the seven IMs of Christ himself. Just looking up health, wealth, and happiness online, do it. I, I, I ask you, I beg you to go look it up. When you look up health, wealth, and happiness online, you come across more new age philosophy rather than biblical teachings. Prosperity watered down to dollar signs. Health now determining faith levels. And happiness, oh, it's from earthly circumstances and possessions, baby. Seeking to possess a bigger house rather than becoming a holier temple possessing Christ and his Holy Spirit. Come on. First, a brilliant man once told me that he has experienced and witnessed enough healings to know that God still heals. But he has done enough funerals to never be presumptuous. Pastor Richard Exley, thank you so much for teaching me this lesson. What's he meaning here? He's meaning that he's not God. His job, his one job is to be obedient, to pray and speak life. And leave the results up to God himself. We all want good health, right? Health is important. And I believe God wants us to be healthy as well. But many inflictions in this world, including those that are in the Bible, were allowed by God for multiple reasons. Job being one example. Job went through what he did, not because of a lack of faith, y'all. But because of his faith itself. He was known as the most faithful person on the planet at the time. He had a high faith in God, a strong faith in God. The Apostle Paul being another one of those. 
Paul said to the Galatians in chapter 4, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Y'all, ailments happen for multiple reasons on this earth. I believe completely, though, in the healing power of Jesus. Jesus healed every disease he came across. Matthew 4 says that. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. This is a good thing, but we cannot negate one and keep the other. We have to grab a hold of both these concepts. That Jesus heals, but we're not God. Our job is to be obedient. Just think about it. Some of those people that were healed had very little faith in Christ as God. They were there for the miracle. But Jesus had much faith to work with, didn't he? So let me suggest this. If the lack of faith is a factor, and I believe the lack of faith is, Jesus proved that no matter where their faith level was, his faith would overcome. So if there is a lack of faith that is affecting the situation and the healing, the one praying, the one that is actually in charge of that moment, better look at his own heart and not judge the one that is receiving. The second thing, well, let's deal with these, uh, this wealth. We've dealt with health. Now let's deal with wealth. While many Christians are seeking the riches of earth to get the results they need to feel successful, I've come to the place where I just want the wealth of heaven that has the currency made from God's character. My son Liam, he asked me once if I was rich. It's a funny question, but not to him. Because in his mind, if I was rich, he was rich. I said, no, sir, but I am the wealthiest man on earth in my mind. And he said, I don't understand, Dad. How can you be wealthy but not rich? I then explained it this way, that being rich will die with you. Money can't go with you to heaven, but your wealth carries over into heaven. I don't have a lot of money. But I am the wealthiest one on earth because I'm a beloved son of God and two loving parents. I have a loyal, virtuous wife that is your mommy. And you and your four brothers and sisters are not only God's gift to me, but you are what makes me wealthy beyond belief. And my goal is to live in such a way and raise you in such a way that I get to share with you God, and I get to share God with you for all eternity. Billionaires, listen, Liam, look at me. Billionaires ain't got nothing on daddy. You see, leaders focusing on gaining wealth and making wealth a primary goal are actually leading through cultural perspectives and false identity, not through their eternal sonship. And they will never feel important enough. They will never feel successful enough to ever understand who they truly are in Christ. The goal of riches and more possessions on this earth will take you down a path that takes you away from the wealth of the kingdom. Finally, let's deal with happiness. I have said many times that happiness is circumstantial. While joy is eternal. When your circumstances change, your level of happiness changes also. 
God desires for you and I to be filled with his joy and joy everlasting, not earth's circumstantial happiness. Let me, let me talk to you a little bit about King David concerning this. I love the stories, all the stories of King David. King David proved this over and over again, by the way. David did some crazy stuff, didn't he? I don't even have to go into details with y'all. He did some crazy stuff, and he was disciplined harshly for them. But he would find the joy of God, even though the circumstances didn't always change. It proved when he and, his, he and Bathsheba's baby was lost. The circumstances of losing a, losing a baby did not, but joy came and he chose to take off the sackcloth and ashes and move on. He chose to trust God. He actually wrote in Psalm 34, verse 4, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning, or joy comes with the morning. Two things. If favor is for a lifetime, that means even if God is angry with you, his favor is still present. You don't lose his favor. Second, joy follows a night of weeping, but there is no mention of the earthly circumstances changing here in this verse. But you know what is mentioned? The word prosperity is mentioned in the very next verse. Verse 6 says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. David's awesome here. And the word he used is awesome because the word he used for prosperity here, it actually means ease and or security or secure. To be prosperous here had nothing to do with monetary health, wealth, or happiness, but had everything to do with being at ease and secure in God. Prosperous living at its finest. Seeking happiness will deceive you away from situations God wants to build you up and grow you in. Joy, though, will never surrender to the negative circumstances you may be in, but will always use them for your soul's benefit. Someone recently asked me what my top focuses for this year were going to be and what they were. And he had no clue that I was getting ready to talk about this in this podcast. And actually, I wasn't going to bring this part up. But I kind of implemented them in once I started dealing with this, this issue of health, wealth, and happiness. And what I found was, is that the three focuses this year more than ever, more than ever before, more than any other year before me, really aligned with going back on track the way I believe God intended for us all to be. So he asked me this, and I went back to my journal because I write pretty much everything down, and I read him my three focuses that only my wife had previously known. They are these. You've heard them already. My three focuses are to learn true obedience this year, gain heavenly perseverance more than ever before, and to possess eternal joy no matter the circumstance. My success is not based on what I can attain and accomplish fitting in and fitting it into where church culture has redefined success, victory, and the American dream. It is what it is now. It is this, very simple. I'd rather just come to God every morning and ask Him for the opportunity 
to prove him right and my flesh wrong. You know what my dream is now? God, it's not about what you can give me. If it is about what you can give me, give me one thing. For what you've done on the cross is more than enough. But if you can give me one thing every day, just give me an opportunity to prove you right and my flesh wrong. And I'll begin by this. I repent, I worship, I study, and I breathe in his presence like never before. Every morning, I come and I repent and I worship him and I study about him through his word and I begin to breathe in his presence like never before. My focus is so different. My focus is no one else outside of me and those I'm responsible for anymore. I am in no competition with anybody, but rather living a life of ease and security in Christ, no matter the circumstances. I am a wealthy and prosperous son of the king. Yes, while living with my in-laws on a farm in Nebraska. And you know what? I am breathing in every moment of it. I love it. I don't think that's too much to ask for this year, right? That was... And that still is my 2020 vision. I want to thank you all for listening to this podcast. I hope it made sense for you today. And I just want to take this last couple of minutes to just thank thank somebody that's very, very important to me. I talked a little bit about her uh, last week and chose not to talk about me being transparent with my wife, Tanya, um, because I am and I try to be. And there's at times where If I'm not, she calls me out. But I'll tell you what, she has taught me more about this way of living and this lifestyle that we live now than anybody else could and would. And I'm enjoying living my life with her. I'm enjoying the opportunity to prove to her who she is in Christ and the way that I lead and the way that I I live and the way that we can do this together to show our kids who they are in Christ. And that no matter what this earth gives them or doesn't give them, through God, through his son Jesus Christ, no matter the riches on earth they may or may not have, the circumstances that may or may not bring them happiness, and the health they may or may not have to fight for, they have the wealth of the kingdom at their hand. And they have a Jesus that is not just their Savior, not just their Lord, But he is their brother, that no matter what they fail in on this earth, by believing in him, they will have an eternity of not just hanging with their king and being in his presence, but sharing the very inheritance he saved for them. So, I've fallen more in love with my family than ever before. I've fallen in love with my wife and my children and my parents and her parents and our family like never before. And I think I'm getting more and more equipped to, f- to love on and through grace show the love of Christ to all other people that I surround myself with and that God surrounds me with. So with that said, be blessed and know you're highly favored. Living with the prosperity of the kingdom of God himself that is not dependent on the riches of earth. May you be blessed. And remember, in a world of groupthink, You can watch me, mock me, block me, or join me. But you can't silence me. Until next time, stay weathered, my friends.